Again, I'm so grateful to see all you guys. We are going to conclude this sermon series this morning, unless the Lord um, does something and shows, shows us something new over the next week. This will be the last message in this series, and I want us to begin, I want us to end the series the way we began it. We began it by looking at a very familiar passage, John 3.16. I want us to end it by looking at another familiar passage this morning, um, you know, one of the biggest struggles that I think the church faces is misunderstandings about salvation. Uh, things that, that we have picked up along the way, maybe as we've grown up in church, that um, aren't necessarily biblical, that aren't necessarily things that um, line up with what God's Word says about it. And the result um, in these misrepresentations of the gospel uh, maybe unintentional, um, have caused a lot of people to sit in pews and sit in churches week after week, month after month, year after year, never having a real relationship with God. Uh, one of those misunderstandings has been uh, easy believism, is what we'll call it. Uh, there was a time uh, when, when the American church was so focused on evangelism that the end goal was to see people walk the aisle and make public professions of faith in Christ. And what that did was perpetuate an idea that, that there's no discipleship involved, there's no responsibility involved with a commitment to Christ. All you have to do is come down and sign a card and let me lead you in a prayer and you've got your ticket into heaven and you don't have to worry about anything else for the rest of your life. And that's not a biblical picture of what the Bible says is the gospel. On the other hand, sometimes the church has been guilty of promoting a, a works-based salvation, which, which can go a couple of different ways. Some of us believe that the more we attend, the more we work, the more we're involved, the more money we give, the more we, we look and participate in the spiritual life of the church, that somehow that, that brings salvation into our lives, and that's simply not true. The other thing is that sometimes that, that walk the aisle, pray a prayer, sign a card, get baptized idea also becomes like a works-based salvation. If I just do this thing, I can, I can be saved. I can, I, can, I can be okay. And those are not accurate as well. And that's part of the motivation behind this series is, has, has been, and I hope that the Lord is, has used these past few weeks to, to teach you some things about what happens at salvation, what Scripture says about it, to, to bring some clarity um, but I think there's more that needs to be said this morning. If, if we, if we be, have believed in an incomplete gospel, a gospel that is somehow based on, on what we do and works, or a gospel that, that is free of responsibility and free of commitment, then, there's, um, then we're missing something. Anything other than a gospel that is based on faith alone, by grace alone, is, is incomplete. And the truth is, we know the reality that lots of people sit in churches having, having given their lives to an incomplete gospel. Therefore, they've not experienced a real salvation. So 2 Corinthians 5.17 is, an, is another familiar passage that I want us to be 
uh, I want it to be our launching point, but we're going to jump all over the place like you guys have figured out already with, with my messages. Uh, don't just stay in one scripture verse. We're all over the place. And you note takers know now, you're, you write down references. You have to go back and look them up and read them again. But we're going to do that again today, okay? But let's start with 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see, the new has come. So if we're going to look at this verse and try to take in everything that it says, the first thing we have to do is notice the first word in the verse. And it is what? Therefore. Anytime you're reading the Bible and you come to a therefore, that means... That's a big fat sign for stop and make sure that you go backwards and read what I've said before that so that you can understand like there's a therefore. Like I eat too many Oreos, therefore I'm fat. Like there's a cause, there's a reason for those. So whenever there's a therefore, we have to go backwards and say what, what what is the therefore? What is that therefore? I heard somebody say that's really corny. Um, go back to verses 14 and 15 if you've got your Bible we, we just read 17 back up to 14 and 15 for the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for the one who died for them and was raised. And so what is he trying to say here in 14 and 15 before we get to 17? That Christ's love compels us that when we're drawn into a relationship with Christ and trust him, we die to our old lives. The way Christ died on the cross, Paul says when we give our lives over to Christ, our old life It's crucified with him. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Our old life dies, and we're raised to a new life in Christ. So our new lives are lived not for ourselves, but for Jesus. That's what he says in verse 15. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. All right, so he's making that point that, that salvation is a, a response to what Christ has done and, that, and, and what happens is our old life dies and is crucified and we're raised to new life just like Jesus. So because of this, verse 17, all of our old, the old goes away, which is that motivation to live for ourselves because in 14 and 15, he says, it's, it's that you not live for yourself anymore. So that old passion, that old drive to live for yourself, to do what you want, to control things, that, that's what goes away. Your old motivation to live life for yourself goes away and everything becomes new. And we're filled with a new desire to live for Christ, which is the one who died and was raised for us, rather than for ourselves. Okay, So because this is true, because 14 and 15 is true, therefore, if we are in Christ, we are new creations. The old 
has gone away and the new has come. So you see how 14 and 15, what he says there, directly connects to what he says in verse 17. Flip over to Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Here's another place. Verse 4 says, Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. So it's a picture. This is a picture of what baptism represents. That as, we're, as, our, as we go under the water, that's the, the burying, the death of our old life as Jesus was crucified and he was laid in the tomb. But then the resurrection happened because of the resurrection of Christ. There's resurrected in me a new nature, a new life. And it's an outward representation of what happens on the inside. And that's, that's what baptism means. And so what, what does this newness of life look like our old life has died we're raised to a new life but but what kind of newness what what does that look like so if we go back to verse 17 in second corinthians 5 let's look at 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 that verse again we're going to read it a bunch therefore if anyone is in christ Meaning, like what happened in verses 14 and 15. If we're in, verse, in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, it's important for us to, to understand what the depth of what that means. When we read the word creation, our minds should automatically go back to Genesis. Right? Because this is the account of creation the creation of everything and Genesis tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and he created the earth and so what we know is that there was nothing before God created it right there what we believe and there have been different human philosophies and different even heretical teachings in the history of the church since Christ but what we believe is that when God creator created the heavens and the earth he created those from nothing he did not take matter that already existed in the universe and put it together he didn't go down to home depot like the universe the heavenly home depot and said hmm, i need to put together the heavens and the earth what do i need and he walked the aisles and he gathered all the stuff together and then he constructed it and put it together that's not what he did he took nothingness and created everything that is. And so this, if, if, if that's the account of creation in Genesis, that should mean something to us when we read that when we, when we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And this is the point I want you to remember. Just as God created everything from nothing in Genesis, he makes new creations of us with nothing from our old lives. Okay? Does that, does that make sense? All the old has gone away. So there's nothing, God doesn't do a scrap job with us. He doesn't, he doesn't do um, a renovation with us. 
he, he, what is created in us at salvation is all his work. And he, and he does it from nothing. He doesn't take pieces of us. He doesn't try to sift through all of our mess and yuckiness and go, well, let me find the good parts. Let me see the pieces I can use and try to put them together into something, into something that kind of looks like something brand new. No. There's nothing from our old life that he needs to create newness of life in us. He does that all by himself. Our salvation is a new creation of God and it doesn't come from us at all. John chapter 1 emphasizes this too. Verses 12 and 13. Let's see what it says. But at all, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. You've heard that one before. Look at verse 13. Who were born, new creation, not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And so John makes the same point here. He's like, there's nothing in that we've already talked about. There's nothing in our desire that brought new life because we never had a desire for God before. Nothing in our, the will of man, I can't, as much as I can will for you to know Christ and be in relationship with him, my will can't create that new life for you. There's natural descent. There's none of us that are just naturally. I cringe sometimes when I hear people say, well, I've been a believer my whole life. No, you haven't. It's not, there's no natural descent. You don't, you don't just, uh, you might have been raised in the church since you were a baby. And, and like the, the day you went home from the hospital was maybe the first Sunday you were at church and you've never missed a Sunday your entire life. But you've not, that doesn't, you've not known Christ your entire life. That doesn't, that doesn't happen. There's nothing from our old life that God uses to make our new life. He, doesn't use, he does it without our religiousness, without our morality, without our effort. He, he doesn't use any of those things in creating new life for us. It's, it's like this. If you want to buy... Say you want a new MacBook, a new Apple computer or something. You can go to Apple's website. You can go to whatever electronics place. And you can buy a new one or you can buy a refurbished one, right? And refurbished is, is cheaper. And a refurbished one just means that, that they got their hands on an old one that somebody else had used. Maybe they only used it a few times, but they got it back. Maybe it had a few scratches. Maybe it had a few components that were out of date. So they took it apart. They put a new processor. Maybe they put some more memory in it to beef it up. They did some things to refurbish it. And then they packed it up in a box and made it look just like new. And, and it's going to sell it to you. But they have to tell you that it's refurbished because it's not new. And anything that's refurbished is cheaper. So when I'm looking for something like that, some high dollar thing, like I'm good with refurbished. And some of y'all are shaking your hand and like, yeah, if it works and it's good, like, like I'm good with that. Because it's cheaper. There is nothing in what Jesus did for us that was refurbished. 
There's nothing in us. It's, it's, our, our new life is not a refurbishment. You know why? Because God didn't spare any expense in his son. He didn't say, well, let me try to figure out what I can do, how I can like refurbish your life so it won't cost me so much. He paid the full price. They're brand new. Like I didn't, I didn't give my son's life for you to have a refurbished life. I, I shed his blood so that you could be brand spanking new. So if anyone is in Christ, back to 517, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So understand what that means. So then he describes what that new creation looks like. The result of new creation is that the old passes away and the new comes in. So one, one thing is, is passing away, it goes away, and something else comes in to take its place. So here's, here's the second thing. The passing away of the old nature and the coming of the new nature is proven in visible Life change. The new creation in us is a spiritual thing. So there's, there's none of us who, I, I can't open you up and see that happen in you. There's an invisible element to it because it's spiritual, but it's not, it's not invisible. The spiritual nature of it may be invisible, but it comes out. And if there's been a real transformation then there is life change that will come from that. And it's visible. It is The change, the recreation inside of us is invisible, but the change that that recreation brings is very visible. And I just have a very deep concern for people who believe that they've made a real decision, that they've repented of their sins, that they've said they want to follow Jesus, and they've done everything that, that a true follower of Jesus has done, but there is no markable difference in what they desire, in, what, in their character, or in their behavior. There's no difference. Now, please understand that a change in character and a change in desire and a change in behavior does not create salvation. That does not save us, okay? But when salvation comes, all of those things are a result of it. A change in our desire and our character and our behavior because we are new. We're not old anymore. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and 24, Paul is writing and he's saying in the verses that we are taught by Christ. And then in verse 22, we are taught to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. And so while there's this inner transformation that God alone does, he doesn't use anything, he doesn't refurbish or, or he, he doesn't refurbish us, he recreates us brand new, and that happens on the inside. 
But then there's this process of growing into this new nature that we call sanctification. And he says the, we have a responsibility as believers to put off, quit dressing up in the clothes and the life that represents that old nature and start putting on the new. Letting it be seen on the outside. So the spirit changes our inner nature and then he teaches us through that change how to change those outward practices, the things that come out of our life. So does that mean that we're perfect after we become Christians? Right? You say, I sure hope not. It doesn't mean that we just stop sinning and that we don't struggle anymore. But what's happened on the inside affects what comes out on the outside. You may not be perfect, but you're different. You can't help but be different because that's the work of God in you. It's so powerful, you can't experience it and just keep being the same. So what does this, what changes does the new nature bring in us? So how, how do we, how can we look at our lives and say, and evaluate ourselves and say, how, has this new nature really happened in me? Has God made me a new creation or am I fooling myself? I'm going to give you, there's a, there's a whole list of things and a whole list of scriptures that we could read and study that, that tell us how we could do that, how we can know that. Like whole books of the Bible are written for that purpose. But I want to give you four just overarching themes, kind of general things that every true believer in Christ, every person who really has experienced saving grace should be able to see and experience because of the new creation. All right? And the first two are in, are in one verse right previous to verse... 16, here's, here's the first two. The way we see God and the way we see other people. If we've experienced salvation, both of those things change. Look at, we're in chapter 5, verse 17. Back up one more verse. Some of you might have thought, well, you went back and read verses 14 and 15, and then we went back to 17, and you skipped 16. Uh, no, I didn't. Now we're going to read it. From now on, then, we do not know anyone, other people, from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Paul is talking from experience. When he was Saul, before he came to know the Lord, what did he do? He persecuted the church. He was out to kill Christians and to destroy the name of Jesus. And then when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road, everything changed, right? He no longer, he, his, his vision of God was different. The way he saw God changed and the way he saw other people changed. We, we w went from a man who wanted to kill believers to the same man that we read earlier in this series who said, I would give up my own salvation if they could have it because I love them so much. 
Like that's, that's a drastic change. And we may see visual manifestations of this change in different ways in different people. But the fact that there is a change is undeniable. Our eyes are open to see God differently than the way, than the way we never saw him before. Do you, do you remember after your salvation experience, as you come to church, as you continue to grow, that you're, God is like showing you new things about who he is and you're like, well, he's been this way all along. It's not that God just became these things since you understood and you put your faith in him. He's always been that way. But you can never see it. But now because you're in Christ, you can see things and you see him in a different way than you saw him before. And when you see God in a different way, you'll also see people in a different way. You know why? Because you've experienced the grace of God in your life. And believers should be the most graceful people on the planet because we have experienced the grace of God for us. And so when we look at other people, all of a sudden we, we have a compassion that we didn't have before. We had a grace for people that we didn't have before. That if we were left to ourselves, we would never care. So the way we see God changes. The way we see people changes. The third thing is the way we understand Scripture changes. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the people without the Spirit, but the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The presence of the Holy Spirit, because of our salvation, changes the way we understand God's word. All of the sudden, when you become a believer and you open up scripture, it speaks. It says something. And it means something. And, and those of you who are believers, you know what I'm talking about. You, you may open up your devotional book one morning or open up your Bible, and it's like God ordained this particular devotion book to be on this page, to have this date on it, and this scripture to read, because all of a sudden what you're reading there is, is exactly what your life is, going, is looking like right now. How in the world did you know that, God? How is this actively speaking into my life? And, and things about God is God is changing the way we see him and, we're, and, and he does that through the scriptures. We're reading the scriptures and we can go, wow, I, like, I get that now. Stuff that before you were a believer you would read and it was gibberish. You didn't know what it meant. Are, are, is, are there some people identifying with that? Like you, you can see that change that happened in you. So the spirit becomes living and active as the, the word becomes living and active as the spirit gives us the ability to be able to understand it. And that's what the word says of itself. It's, it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's, it's not just a thing. It's, it's the living word of God. And upon salvation, 
when, when the Holy Spirit comes, one of the things that changes is our ability to read the Bible and understand it because we have the Holy Spirit. And then here's the last one, big one. The way we relate to sin changes. Now we've said already, we don't stop sinning. We don't become perfect. But something happens in our relationship with sin. Because before you were in Christ, you had a relationship to sin. Look at 1 John chapter 3. And I want to... I want to clarify, we're going to read this, and it's going to sound like what John is saying here it directly contradicts what I just said, but it doesn't, and I'll, I'll try to explain that to you. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Actually, the whole book of 1 John, like if you, if you, you want to dig into this more, just go home and read the whole letter of 1 John. That, and, and, and it talks about this over and over and over. But verses 9 and 10 in chapter 3 says, Anyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him, meaning Christ's seed. He is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. What? Okay, that sounds like, Eric, that I have to be perfect. That sounds like for me to be, to know that I'm saved, I have to be perfect. The, the one that's been born of God does not sin and is not able to sin. That's not me. When you, when you read and study the language and the, and the words that John is using here, anytime he's talking, in all these verses, when he talks about sin as a verb, it's a continuous, repetitive pattern. Like, I don't know why I always use food as an illustration, but like, <laughs> I will eat. Like there's a pack of Oreos on the front pew right now. And, and I, will, I will eat those, okay? But I will continue to eat my whole life, right? So there's a one-time thing where I eat. I eat, but then I eat forever, okay? So when John is saying, let me reread it and kind of amplify those words so that you can understand it a little bit better. Everyone who has been born of God does not continue in a repeated pattern of sin because his seed remains in him. He is not able to continually repeat a pattern of sin over and over and over because he has been born of God. And this is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right continually over and over and over repetitively is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. One of the things that John was doing in this letter was calling out false teachers. And he says, there are you guys who are standing up in the church and you're proclaiming that you know the gospel and you're teaching a false gospel. And the reason I know is because you don't even have love for your brothers and sisters in the church. You don't love people. 
So you're liars. Something happens in us when we give our life to Christ. It's not that we stop sinning. It's not that we become perfect. But our relationship with sin changes. All of a sudden, what we used to be okay with, we're not so okay with. What we used to be able to do and never think about, never feel any remorse or guilt or conviction over it, that doesn't happen anymore. Now, some of you may have varying stories. I've heard of some people, I hear people's testimonies and say, once I came to Christ, there was sin in my life that he immediately cut out of my life. He immediately took this away from me. My desire, I know, I know guys who have said, man, I was, I was into alcohol and I was into substance abuse. And immediately when the Spirit came into my life, he took all of that away. And I had no desire for any of that stuff anymore. Sometimes the Spirit works like that, but sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes it's a process. It's, it's that, that sanctification that, yeah, that sin is still there, whatever it may be. And even when I fall into it, my relationship with it is different. I don't, I don't chase it. it. It it brings conviction. And the reason your relationship changes is because Scripture says your relationship to sin before Christ is is bondage. You're literally chained to it. It's like you and whatever that sin is are bound together, and you're powerless to be able to get away from it. You can't break that chain. Jesus did that. You, so, so immediately when Jesus breaks that chain, your relationship with sin changes. And it's not that I'm bound to it and I'm hopelessly uh, just destined to fall into it every time. Now, because Jesus has broken that chain, there's a freedom that I have to say no to it that I didn't have before. I can walk away from it. I can repent. I may, not, I may fall Still, but even in that, in that falling into it, my relationship with it is so different. Because I instantly feel guilt and conviction. And I run to Jesus and I say, Lord, please continue to rescue me. Paul said, who is, who is going to rescue us from this body of death? And Paul talked about how the, the good things that I want to do, I don't do. And the, and the bad things I don't want to do, I keep doing. And it's the struggle with the flesh. But, but you're not bound to it anymore. And that's been broken. Romans chapter 6. Look at these verses. We're going to read 6 and 7 and then 11 and 12. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. See, that's what we were just talking about. Verse 7, since a person who has died is freed from sin. There it is. There's the freedom that, that comes. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desire. It doesn't control you anymore. And so because it doesn't control you anymore and because of what Christ has done and because of that new creation in you, you now have the power to walk away from it. And that power comes from Christ, not from you. So therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body. 
so that you obey its desires because it's not your God anymore. It's not your Lord anymore. Jesus is. So there's a lot that changes. All of these things, those four things, are, are, are only four in a list that could be a lot longer. And some of you who, who are here that have a relationship with Christ, there are things in your mind right now that you're thinking of that you, you want to add to that list right now. Because you've experienced the change, the life change that the new creation brings. Do you want to know whether your salvation experience is real? You know what's an even better way, than, even better than going back to a date on a calendar and saying, well, on this day I did this and I did this and I did this. You know what's better than that? What changed? The answer to that question will give us peace, will give us security. What changed? Did I see, did it, did it, am I seeing God differently now than I did before? Has God given me a different perspective of other people? Can I read, is God's word living and active as I read it? Or is it just another archaic old book that I, I don't even understand what it's talking about? And is there sin that was in my life before that I don't, I don't have the same relationship with anymore. And I know it's not because of me. Like the answers to those questions can bring us security. But they can also reveal the absence of something real. 